You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Everybody wants to live the good life. Now that may look a little bit different for different people. Some people are focused on a good life in terms of family, relationships, cultivating that a home where those things happen in healthy ways. Other people, when they think of the good life, may think of climbing the corporate ladder, getting the right position, making a good income. However we think of the good life, we live in a world, we live in a society that tells us the good life is primarily about more stuff, accumulation, gain, comfort, get all you can. That's what uh, commercials are for, aren't they? That's why companies will spend tremendous amount of money on advertising. Billboards on the highway, those pesky ads that make internet pages load so slowly. Good life equals more stuff. And we've got something to offer or sell. When we come to the scriptures, however, we get a different vision of the good life, particularly in the book of James. And James is very concerned, we've just heard, we've read the text together, about desires for more stuff and how dangerous they can be. So James gives us a different vision of the good life. He gives us a different set of values. He gives us a different perspective, doesn't he? And he invites us to think about the values of the world that we live in in light of the values that he articulates. Now, if we do that, we've got to be careful because it may challenge some of our presuppositions, it may challenge some of our decisions, it may challenge some of our own values. But for James, the reality, the bottom line is that the good life isn't more stuff. It's more wisdom. For James, if you want to live, if you want to live life well, you focus on wisdom, not accumulation of stuff, of things, material goods. The whole passage for James 3.13 on into chapter 4 is organized around this contrast. And we've already got a hint of that, haven't we? How do you live the good life? James says there are two kinds of wisdom. One is wisdom from God, real wisdom, authentic wisdom. The other he calls unspiritual, earthly, even devilish wisdom. Wisdom that's not from above. Hear what he says. He says, who's wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. So there's that key idea, right? You want to live a good life? You want to live well? You want a life that matters to the people around you, to the church, to the kingdom, to the world? It's going to be marked by good works. And those works, he says, are born out of wisdom. So if you want to get to this place where you have a life well lived, it's born for James, for the scriptures, out of wisdom. So if we're not seeking wisdom, it's going to be very difficult to find our way to a life well lived. 
James, for James, we'll see if you set your sights on the good life and the values and decisions we make are determined by that vision, then it becomes very dangerous. So he says, pursue wisdom, and that will result in a good life. Focus on the good life, and chances are you mind, may wind up very distracted from wisdom. You want a good life, focus on wisdom. It says, in contrast, if you have bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. And that's really where this, this idea that a good life is bound up in accumulation, right? It's that selfish ambition. I want this position. I want these kinds of things. I want this kind of life. I want people to think this sort of thing about me. And all the way through, the focus is on me, how I'm perceived, what I've accomplished, what I've got, where I am, what my position is, what my credentials are. And it's all oriented towards the self, isn't it? It's, it's all about me and what I've done, and what I've accomplished. And for James, that's a dangerous place to be. Hear what he says. He says, if that's the way you think about wisdom, bitter envy, selfish ambition in your hearts, right? It's boastful and focused on the self. He says, such wisdom, he's kind of saying this tongue-in-cheek, right? Because it's not really wisdom. He says, that sort of wisdom doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from above. Instead, it comes from it's earthly wisdom. So that's where we kind of get this idea where godly wisdom in contrast to earthly wisdom. And James isn't satisfied with just saying it's earthly wisdom either. He says it's unspiritual. It's not the sort of thing that is marked by the work of the Spirit of God. It's not the kind of thing that God's Holy Spirit works in his people. For James, that's not enough. He says it's really devilish. This kind of selfish, self-oriented boastful, self-promoting, what am I going to accomplish? What am I going to accumulate? What am I going to gain? What am, what am I going to, how am I going to set myself up with the good life? James says it's really devilish. It's wisdom not from above, but from below. Wisdom from the devils in hell. <laughs> you kind of want to say, James, why don't you tell us how you really feel? <laughs> and he's happy to do that, isn't he? And when you look at these two different attitudes, towards, you know, godly wisdom, wisdom from above, or earthly wisdom, devilish wisdom, as James calls it, wisdom from below, they, they, they are marked by very different sorts of things. For James, uh, God's wisdom, godly wisdom, is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. It's willing to yield. Did you hear that? He says, you know, this divine wisdom, is, it doesn't insist on, I'm right, it's willing to yield. We know, when we insist on being right, we know right, our focus isn't on how does God want to work in me. Our focus is on I want to vindicate myself here. So James says wisdom from above is willing to yield. It doesn't have to win every argument. It's very hard for some of us. <laughs> Apparently a lot of folks right over there, it's very hard. <laughs> or their spouses want. That's what, something's going on there, isn't it? <laughs> this side of the room is fine. This side of the room, it's a whole different story. It's very hard for some of us. We like, we like to be right. We like to win. We like to make our case. But again, like, where's the focus? Is it what does God want to be doing in this place in me, in my life, in my circumstances? Or is it how am I going to show that I'm on top? Right? James says 
This sort of wisdom is willing to yield. Wisdom from above. Verse 17 is where we are. Pure, peaceable, gentle. Willing to yield. Full of mercy and full of good fruits. And what's going on? I mean, really, what's happening there is is the character of Jesus is being reproduced in the lives of the people who have this wisdom. Is, can, can we see that? Peaceable, pure, willing. I mean, of all people, Jesus is, is right when they come with swords and spears to take him away to the cross. He's in the right. He's done nothing wrong, and yet he yields his life for the sake of another, for our sake. He's willing to yield. He doesn't insist on his rights. And in that, he's overflowing in mercy. And the result is good fruit in his people and in the world that he's made. Wisdom from below, for James, in contrast, we've already said is unspiritual. For James, it's demonic. This self-oriented thing, he just wants... He's, he's a straight shooter. He just says, look, that's demonic kinds of stuff. You've got to back off from that. That's not the character of Jesus. It's the character of devils. He says it's associated with envy. There's this selfish ambition. He says it's marked by disorder and hypocrisy. This is a big contrast. These are very different things. And anytime we come to the scriptures and we see these kinds of big contrasts, there's, there's really this implied invitation to do some diagnostic work, isn't it? I mean, where, where, what kind of people do we want to be around? What kind of people do we want to be? <laughs> people marked by peace, gentleness, good fruit, or people marked by this sort of selfish ambition insisting on my rightness. Where do we want to live our lives? What do we want the tone of our homes to be, the tone of our church to be? What do we want our own character to be? This leads to massive problems in communities, as far as James can tell. We get on into chapter 4. He says, these conflicts and disputes among you, we don't know a lot about the congregation. We really don't know anything about the congregation that James is writing to other than what shows up in the letters. nice thing about Paul's letters, he tells us the city he's writing to, and we can kind of do some archaeology and read some documents and learn a lot about a place like Corinth or Ephesus or Rome. We've got a lot of information. James doesn't give us those kinds of hints, but from the text, it appears that there's a conflict happening in the book of James that he's addressing in this letter. He says, these conflicts and disputes that you're having, where do they come from? He says, I'll tell you where they're coming, where they come from. They come from cravings that are at war within you. You want something and don't have it, so you commit murder. I can only guess that he's speaking hyperbolically there. I can't like imagine people in church like <laughs> murdering one. I mean, maybe they are. I don't know. But you get the idea. I mean, there's some severe conflict and anger going on here for James. He says, you want something, you don't have it, so you commit murder. Maybe he's thinking about his brother's thing about if you're angry with someone, you commit murder. Right? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe that's where he's going says you covet something, right? There's something you want. You can't quite get your hands on it. This is the fruit of the selfish ambition we were talking about. Wisdom from a below. Wisdom from the devil. He says you, you want something. You covet it. You cannot obtain it. This is verse 2, chapter 4. So you engage in disputes and conflicts. I mean, maybe he's talking about formal disputes like a lawsuit or legal action. 
Maybe it's just a family feud or maybe there's factions in the congregation. Whatever it is, James has a big problem with it and so he's going after it full on. Your covetousness, your selfish ambition, your self-focus, this worldly wisdom marked by the desire for accumulation, right? This is the thing. You've been listening to the commercials. You want the stuff. You can't get it, so you engage in these disputes and conflicts. James says, that's not wisdom. It's not the good life. I mean, does it feel good? <laughs> Engaged in conflicts and disputes over things you can't get your hands on? Does that feel like, hey, I'm really living life to the full here? And we think if we can get our hands on that thing that we want, that we'll be happy. And it absolutely destroys our soul to go after it. And then when we actually get it, we're not, we're not really satisfied. Are we? There's always something else. There's always something next. Something else at work. Because what happens when we give ourselves to this, what James calls earthly wisdom or demonic wisdom, it's marked by covetous. I want this. I want that. I'm not satisfied, right? It doesn't, that desire doesn't get relieved when we get our hands on the things. It's cultivated habits marked by covetousness and desire. So we just go after the next thing. We set our sights on it, live into the habits that we've been cultivating. James says, you got to back off, cultivate some different habits. Got to do some different kinds of things. You got to do some diagnostic work. Do you want to be the kind of person who's constantly engaged in disputes? You want your church to be the kind of church. <laughs> some of us may have been in churches like that. Constantly engaged in disputes. That's not a church focused on... It's impossible to be oriented and given completely to God's mission in the world if, we're, if there's infighting and battling and things like that. One of my biggest frustrations with the big United Methodist conflict, if you're in the know on this, this is for you. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, we'll get back to James in just a second. But if one of my biggest frustrations with the conflict that's happening in the United Methodist Church is how, how massively... Our, how much our attention is distracted from our mission. Resources, time, attention. I would much rather be planning a mission trip than figuring out who we're going to elect to a general conference or something like that. And when the church gets embroiled in these conflicts that are about agenda, and here we are, and we've got to have this, we've got to do this, and don't get me wrong, it's absolute necessity for the church to defend the faith. But when we find ourselves embroiled in those kinds of conflicts, it distracts us from the mission. It takes away our energy. James wants to see the church resist those sorts of conflicts. Whether it's my agenda for a denomination or whether it's just my own individual covetousness for things I can't have and don't need. Because wherever it is, at whatever level of church, society, congregation, individual... Wherever it is, James says, it's not healthy. It's not good for you. It's creating a life marked by strife and pain. And you think it's the good life. <laughs> you want the good life, James says, go for wisdom. Go for wisdom. And so we need to be doing these kinds of diagnostics, paying attention 
So where is wisdom found? If, wisdom, if the good life isn't about more stuff, it's about more wisdom, if that's where we want to move ourselves from one thing to the next, the question then becomes, how is wisdom found? And maybe we remember at the very beginning of James, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, look, if you want wisdom, maybe he's giving them a little hint, we're going to talk about this later, if you want it, ask God. If you want it, just, just ask God. What does that look like? Take a look at verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Right? You've looked at good life defined by the devil. <laughs> it's dangerous, it's unhealthy, it's marked by pain and conflict. You've looked at the good life as God defines it, the pursuit of wisdom, a life that embodies faith in Jesus, good works, transformative presence in church and my family and the world and my workplace that those kinds of things he says you want it submit yourselves to god resist the devil right he's already told us that selfish ambition is devilish so now he's saying resist the devil resist those inclinations he will flee from you instead draw near to god verse eight and he will draw near to you so we're kind of if we're thinking about wisdom, and if you want wisdom, you ask God. He says, let's, let's expand, let's amplify that a little bit. Right? Seeking God's mind in the pursuit of wisdom means running from the devil. <laughs> Which means identifying the places, you know, where are the places in my heart that are marked by covetousness? Where are the places in my life that are marked by the selfish ambition? Fleeing the devil means fleeing from devilish patterns of thinking and habits and character. James says, flee from that. You've got to turn your back on it and run as fast as you can. Draw near to God instead. Drawing near to God means submitting to God. I like that word submit. Kind of a dirty word in 21st century Western culture. Everybody, you know, is on a level play, equal. You know. Don't tell me your religion is better than, you know, James says, listen, you want the good life, you want wisdom, submit to the God who made you. Humble yourself. Right? And humility, of course, is on the other end of the spectrum from insisting on being right. So you can see how James is drawing these lines, like willing to yield, will yield to God. <laughs> Humble yourself to God. If you want to learn how to not insist on your way and your ambition and your rights, Practice by yielding and submitting to the God who made you and loves you and has redeemed you in Jesus. Submit to him, and he brings you forward into wisdom, to a good life marked by good works. But it's not something you're just going to concoct. You've got to run to Jesus. You've got to run to God. You've got to pursue him, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Again, he doesn't soft pedal it, does he? Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Every time I come upon this word double-minded in the Bible, I'm reminded that just about the, the contrast between being double-minded and single-minded. This was a big deal for John Wesley, founder of the Wesleyan Methodist Movement. If we want to talk about what God wants from us, he wants single-mindedness. And John Wesley thought that because he read things like James, 
We said, don't be double-minded, right? Don't be divided. Yeah, I want to honor God, but I really want this accumulation. Right? I mean, these folks are going to church. That's where you hear a letter like this. It ain't showing up at their house. They're gathering with believers. They're putting on a show. Hey, we're here. We're checking the church box. We attended this week. Here we are. James says, you show up, but you are double-minded. Your minds are marked by selfish ambition and conceit and self-promotion. He says, don't be double-minded. You be single-mindedly focused on the God who made you, who's revealed in Jesus. You draw near to him. You submit to him. You yield to him. You give yourself to him, and he will make you wise. And wisdom is the key to, the, to a life well-lived. Not stuff, wisdom for James. I'm struck by the imperatives. He just lays it on one after another with these, these commands. Like, here's what you do. There's no, there's no well, well, I want to be wise. I don't want to be marked by covetousness. What do I do? James leaves no question. Submit to God. Flee the devil. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Lament over your selfishness. Mourn and weep. I mean, how? Here's the friends. When was the last time we really lamented over our sin? I mean, to just take a second, do a little diagnostic. We can probably remember the last time we, you know. Let that stray word slide out or spoke in anger. Maybe that secret covetousness we haven't actually, no one else knows about. When we have that, I mean, is there a, a lament? A sorrow? Like, is my heart grieved when I find sin there? That's what James says. That's, that ought, that's what our response should be. Not, oh, it's okay, it's cool, God's a nice guy, lots of grace around, you just sweep it under the rug. We don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. James says, look, when you find things that don't align with God's best, it should break your heart. You should weep over it. And I suspect, friends, this is, I mean, this is part of the problem, I think, with the American church is we just, we don't weep over our fault. We don't grieve over the darkness in our hearts. And we don't go to Jesus to heal it because we get along with it just fine. And he desires, and this is what James is all, all about, Jesus desires to reproduce his character in us. Now, if we come to James and we just kind of think, all right, I just got to work harder. Just got to kind of strengthen up. I got to purify my heart. I got to do these things. I got to just try. And I'm going to, I got to learn how to do, do all the stuff. Like, that's not what James is saying. He's not saying work harder at it. Remember, he's saying submit, yield, surrender, humble yourself. And if you do that, right, people who are humbling themselves, are not, hey, look at me, I did it, I, 
disciplined my heart. I've conquered covetousness. Still focuses on the self, does he? He says, humble yourself. Submit. Trust God to work in you in ways you can't work in yourself. Trust God to change you in ways you cannot change yourself. Trust him. Draw near. And he will change your life. You can't do it yourself. You need him to do it for you and in you. And if we can just take a minute to pray together. Just open our hearts to Jesus. Say, you know, Lord Jesus... There are things in me that I've not submitted to you. I've held on to this earthly vision of the good life. And I need you to do something about it. The invitation is to humble yourself and submit to Jesus. Maybe you want to do that. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.